Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. Luke chapter 1 is a marvelous chapter in the whole Bible. It's interesting in that it gives us the account of two conceptions, that of John the Baptist and, of course, of Jesus Christ. Both of these conceptions involved the Holy Spirit in miraculous ways, But to see the difference between them is valuable because it will help unlock one of the most tremendous mysteries in Scripture, and that is the two natures of the man-savior. Ed Marks has joined us for our third life study from the Gospel of Luke. Ed, welcome back. It's uh, awfully good to see you. You've been away for a while, and we're really happy you're here. Yeah, Chris, I'm very happy to be here, Chris. And as you know, the Gospel of Luke is just tremendous, and it presents a particular vision of Christ that is distinct and wonderful from the other three Gospels. Each Gospel presents a particular view of Christ, and Luke is quite marvelous. Of course, Luke is a precious brother. He was a doctor. Yes. And he had his view and vision of Christ that we'll see is very precious. Ed, this chapter, first chapter in Luke, is one of the longest chapters in the whole New Testament, and it contains a tremendous revelation of Christ, and particularly his preparation as the man-savior in his humanity and with his divinity. We've been using this term man-savior now since we began this life study. Maybe we review just for a moment what this term conveys and why it's associated uniquely with the Gospel of Luke. Chris, this is a very good question, and what has helped me through the ministry we've been receiving is to see that the four Gospels are actually four biographies of Christ. Like I said before, each one presents a particular vision of Christ. And Chris, what is amazing is that in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 1, there's this picture of the living creatures. And these living creatures have four faces. Hmm. And these four faces are the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. Well, the four Gospels show us these four faces. Actually, these are four distinct biographies of Christ. In Matthew, we see Christ as a lion. What does that mean? This means Christ is the king savior. Matthew presents him as the king. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Then we come to Mark, and you look at the picture in Ezekiel 1, you see the face of an ox there. This means Christ is the slave savior. He is our slave. He's God's slave to serve God and to serve us with his life and his person. Then let me skip to John. Mm -hmm. In John, we see, according to Ezekiel 1, the face of an eagle. This signifies Christ as the God Savior. When we look at John, we see Christ as the very God, and we see him soaring as an eagle with his divine life. This is wonderful. Now we come back to Luke. 
what do we see with Luke? We see the face of a man. We see Christ as the man's Savior. He is not only the complete God, he is also a perfect man with perfect, fine, sinless, and wonderful humanity. He is the mingling of God with man, he is the complete God, and he is the perfect man. And because he's a man, Chris, we can relate to him. Right. Praise the Lord, he's a man. He's, he lives in us. And we can talk to him. He knows what we're feeling when we're going through things. He knows what it's like to be a man. So this is marvelous to see these four biographies and to see in Luke that he's the man's savior. Ed, I love this gospel. I was reading uh, one of Watchman Nee's books recently, The Normal Christian Faith, and he has a chapter in there where he talks about God wanting to communicate with man. And the necessity was that to, in order to communicate with man, he had to first become a man. Otherwise, there would be no way for us to relate to him. That's really the Savior we have in Luke, isn't it? Exactly, Chris. And I, I've read that book also, and I remember Brother Nee saying that uh, there were some birds, and he was all alone there in a retreat place. He wanted to speak to the birds, but when he got there, they would fly away. Right. But if he could have become a bird, then he could have communicated with them. <laughs> It's a good illustration, and it, and it matches the point you just made. Well, let's uh, take a look today at this chapter. We've covered now the introduction, which is the first four verses. We want to pick up the story in chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. And I've just selected a few of these verses. We're going to see initially something about the forerunner that we'll see of Jesus Christ, who is John the Baptist. We mentioned at the opening today, this chapter gives us two conceptions, both remarkable, both miraculous, but it's the difference between them that we want to draw our attention to today. Anyway, let's begin by looking a little bit at John the Baptist. In verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. Now jump to verse 7. And they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in their days. Now 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and exultation, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will by no means drink wine and liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and many of the sons of Israel he will turn to the Lord their God. Quite a person here, Ed. Up until this time, there's never been a person who was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. This is remarkable. Let's join Witness Lee for this first portion. These three and a half chapters give us a full picture showing us how this man, Savior, was prepared. Firstly, his forerunner's conception. This is the conception of John the Baptist. John was conceived by the divine power in a miraculous way. His parents were old, who were unable to produce any child, but God came in miraculously with his divine power to cause them to produce a son. That was John the Baptist. Now, John was separated unto God as a Nazarite. Listen. John was born a priest. 
we know a priest was one chosen by God. But this priest, chosen by God, became Nazarite. You have to read Numbers chapter 6. A Levite or a priest was a chosen one, but a Nazarite was not chosen by God, but he was a volunteer by himself. So now you could see John the Baptist had a double status. On the one hand, he was chosen. On the other hand, he was voluntary. And uh, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You must consider him as the first one in the New Testament who was filled with the Holy Spirit. By being so, he could be able to turn many sons of Israel to the Lord, their God. Ed, typically we don't spend a lot of time in these life studies with history and background, uh, but it is important to lay a foundation in this Gospel of Luke. So, hence this first section, really looking at the conception and a little bit of the biography of this John the Baptist. A couple of things jumped out at me here, this matter of his being the first one filled with the Holy Spirit, and also this matter of the two status as a Nazarite and as a priest. Maybe you could comment on some of these things. Yeah, Chris, you know, firstly, we'll see that this is remarkable that to prepare the way for Christ as the man's Savior, who was a man, we'll see, that was mingled with God. John the Baptist was born. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Later, we'll see that this was by the divine power. Right. And we'll see this was a particular conception, that even the man's Savior's conception is different from John the Baptist conception. But, Chris, just as a background, this thing about the Nazarite vow is really something because John the Baptist was a Nazarite. With the Nazarite vow in the typology, to translate the typology into you know New Testament terms, a Nazarite in the New Testament, the reality has to be separated unto God from natural affection, from worldly pleasures. This is why it says John didn't drink wine or liquor. Wine signifies the worldly pleasures. So he was separated from all the earthly pleasures. He was separated unto God from anything rebellious. Mm -hmm. And he was separated unto God from any kind of spiritual death. We need to be the same in the New Testament. We need to be separated unto God from all natural things. We need to be spiritual men. We need to be separated unto God from worldly enjoyment. We need to enjoy Christ. We need to be separated unto God from rebellion. We need to be under the headship of Christ. And we need to be separated unto God from death. We need to be filled with the life of Christ. It's this kind of person that can bring Christ back and into the world to save dying humanity. This is the kind of person God uses to bring Christ to people. Mm. Ed, what about uh, his being the first one filled? Touch that just very quickly. Yes, Chris, what we'll see, you know, from Brother Lee's sharing is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but this was according to the power of the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, there's two words for filled. One is an inward filling, and one is an outward filling. Well, the word for filled here is the outward filling of the Spirit. He was 
clothed with the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb, with the Spirit as the divine power so that he could pave the way for Christ to come in. But we'll see that Christ isn't merely clothed with the Holy Spirit, with the divine power, but he is filled with the Spirit with the divinity of God as his very divine essence. Mm. This is the distinction between these two conceptions. Yeah, that is the distinction we want to look at in this coming section, the comparison here, the difference. If we come a little bit later into the chapter, chapter 1, verse 35 gives us a very good view. It says, and the angel, this is now when uh, speaking to Joseph and Mary about the coming conception here of the Lord Jesus. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also... The holy thing which is born will be called the Son of God. Not the same words uh, regarding the uh, conception of John, is it, Ed? That's right, Chris. This verse shows us that Christ was holy in his very essence. Mm. And it says he will be called the Son of God. This man is unique in the whole universe. And as we join Witness Lee, I'll just draw our attention to Matthew chapter 1, where it says that, for that which has been begotten in her is of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Witness Lee once again. Now, we come to the conception of the man Savior. The man Savior was conceived of the Holy Spirit with the divine essence in a human virgin with the human essence. Now you could see two sources of the essence here. One is the Holy Spirit of whom this wonderful one was conceived. And the other source is the human virgin in whom this conceiving was carried out. So, no doubt, just by this one action, two essences were involved, the divine essence and the human essence. Who can deny that any kind of conception should be a kind of mingling? Christ, our Lord, was really a mingling of God with man. But this mingling didn't cause him to lose the divine nature nor the human nature. It didn't make him a third thing. Rather, in this mingling, both the divine nature or the divine essence and the human essence still remain distinguishable. And no third nature was produced. No third essence was produced. The divine essence still remains, and the human essence still remains too. But these two mingle together to be a person, not a third nature. This is the basic element for our knowledge of the wonderful person of the Lord Jesus.
Ed, we talked about this matter in our first program. Dick Taylor was here. We touched this matter of mingling, even the Webster definition of the word. But we come back to it now, and I think it's worth our while to spend enough time to make sure that we have a very clear understanding of this crucial, important point in the whole Bible, not just in the Gospel of Luke. Why, Ed, is it so important to make very clear that this mingling of these two natures, divine and human, in Christ, did not constitute a new third essence or nature? Chris, to answer this question, I'd like to go back to the Old Testament. You know, why do we use the word mingling? Actually, mingling is very scriptural. In Leviticus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it speaks of the meal offering. And all Bible expositors know that the meal offering is a wonderful type of Christ. What these verses tell us is that the meal offering is composed of fine flour mingled with oil. Now, what does this mean? The fine flour signifies the humanity of Jesus. The oil signifies the divinity of Christ. So he is the mingling of humanity and divinity. He is the mingling of God and man. And we see his humanity is the fine flower. Right. That means his humanity is perfect, fine, even, balanced, tender, and gentle. No one has a humanity like Christ. But he's also mingled with God, mingled with divinity. He is the very God. He is the complete God and the perfect man. Many expositors use the term God-man. Right. Christ is the God-man. This is the reality of the meal offering. Now, Chris, what happened in the history of the church is this term mingled was abused by some. They used the term mingled, but they used it in a wrong way, and they even used it in a heretical way. They said that, you know, okay, Christ was the mingling of divinity with humanity and a third nature was produced. This is wrong to say this. They said, well, Christ isn't merely God or merely man, but he's a third thing. Right. But that's why the dictionary definition of mingling is so important. The dictionary tells us that in mingling, the two elements are combined but they remain distinguishable in their combination. No third nature is produced. This is a heresy. Regretfully, Chris, what happened is now people don't want to use the word mingling because of that heresy. But we should use the word mingling because the Scriptures use it to describe this great mystery, the mystery of God manifested in the flesh. He is God mingled with man. It's just that we have to understand it in the pure biblical sense, and we have to use this word. Yes. He is fine flour mingled with oil without a third nature being produced. He is distinctly God and distinctly man. He is the mingling of God with man. He is a wonderful mystery, and we love him. Ed, uh, that's going to help, I think, in this third section. It's very short. It's going to touch probably what has been a question that many of our listeners and most Bible readers have pondered at one time, and that is why the Lord would sometimes refer to himself as the Son of God, while other times he would call himself the Son of Man. And, of course, the answer is the mingling. Here's Witness Lee once again. The Lord Jesus was conceived of God, the Spirit. So he was the Son of God, And he was also born of a virgin who was a descendant of David. So, 
according to human side. Jesus was also a descendant of David, the son of man, to inherit the throne of David and to reign over the house of Jacob forever in his everlasting kingdom. So here you could see, in such a brief word spoken to Mary by the angel, there is a clear revelation that this one who was to be born was both God and man. He was both the Son of God and the Son of Man because he was born of God the Spirit and also of the human virgin. So on the divine side, he was the Son of God and the human side, he was the Son of Man. Therefore, in the New Testament, especially in the four Gospels, he himself quite often told people that he was the Son of God and he was also the Son of Man. Too many times he told us that he was both the Son of God and the Son of Man because he was born of two essences. So he is a composition of the Son of God and of the Son of Man. Ed, let's just talk about these two phrases in the uh, couple of minutes we have remaining, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Actually, if we consider it in this light, there's a marvelous revelation here, isn't there? Chris, there is. And uh, when I consider this, I just have to think of God's purpose. You know, simply put, God wants to be our husband. He wants to marry us. You know, if you look in John 3, John the Baptist describes him as the bridegroom. And we're his bride. In Ephesians 5, he's our husband. We're his wife. At the end of the Bible, the new Jerusalem is the bride, the wife of Christ. Well, how can Christ marry us? Well, for him to marry man, he has to become a man. You can only marry someone of your same species. Right. Right? Right. I can't marry someone of a different species. That's ridiculous. So for God to marry man, he has to become a man. Now, how about man marrying God? Well, if we are going to marry God, he has to come into us. When we receive him as the man's savior, he comes into us not only as that perfect man, but he comes into us with his divinity, and we are constituted and transformed with God so that we can marry God. This is tremendous. This is why he has to be the son of man and the son of God. And to use the illustration of the meal offering again, Chris, when we enjoy Christ, when we, for instance, when we get into the word and we enjoy him as our spiritual food, we are actually eating him as the meal offering. The meal offering was eaten by the priests. What this means is when we enjoy Christ as our spiritual food, we are enjoying and partaking of his perfect humanity and his wonderful, powerful divinity as the reality of the fine flour mingled with oil. This is really marvelous. 
We um, are just having a kind of an appetizer here in these uh, early programs on the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see this man-savior unveiled in such a tremendous way. I very much appreciate that you put it in this context, Ed, to really appreciate what Luke presents us, the facet, the aspect, the biography that Luke gives us. To understand this mingling of God and man in the perfect man-savior Christ is uh, crucial, and uh, I feel like the foundation has really been well laid today. appreciate very much your help and your fellowship as always. Yeah, Chris, I, I think as we go on these radio broadcasts, our love for the Lord will increase tremendously as we see how he's presented in Luke. I think that is, uh, that's really so. We hope you'll contact us. I'll give you our toll-free number. We would love to hear from you, and we'd love to see you get these printed life study messages uh, so that you can carry on your own life study as we go through. Our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Well, you can write to us, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814, or send us an email, and you can send that to radio at lsm.org. Well, we hope you'll stay with us through the whole duration. A marvelous life study awaits us in an unfolding of the man-savior Christ in Luke. For Ed Marks, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one, and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.